Chapter 11 of Early Days of Old Oregon by Catherine Berry Judson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 11 Danger at Fort Walla Walla. I shall build a trading fort near the forks of the Columbia, said Donald Mackenzie to the officers of the Northwest Company at Fort George, Astoria. The forks are the most dangerous point on the Columbia River i shall make the indians see that we are friends not enemies by the forks of the columbia mackenzie meant the point where the snake river flows into the columbia this was in eighteen eighteen only three years after alexander ross had had his horse-buying adventure in the yakima valley the indians had said to ross then these are the men who kill our relations and there had been sharp little fights since then the forks were not so very far below the yakima valley so donald mackenzie began to plan for his fort he was a big powerful man and the indians admired him much because of his size but they did not want a fort at the columbia and that was why fort walla walla fort nez perces it was sometimes called was a dangerous point mackenzie had only ninety-five men with him and many of them could not be trusted some were iroquois indians from the eastern part of canada along the st lawrence some were kanakas from the sandwich islands a few were french canadian boatmen only a half dozen or fewer were british alexander ross was mackenzie's first officer and he tells the story half a mile north of the pretty little walla walla river and about nine miles south of the snake river the brigade of boats from fort george with ninety-five men drew up to land many indians were encamped there now usually when the white men landed anywhere the indians went to meet them but not this time not an indian put out his hand to the white man not the least joy was shown not even a request for tobacco in their tepees of buffalo hides the red men stayed or lounged about on the sandy ground that meant trouble mackenzie paid no attention to this coldness he ordered his own tent set up and the boats unloaded the food and trading goods and guns had to be guarded and a fort had to be built not a piece of wood was there at that point with which to build a fort it was a dry sandy treeless spot there was not a tree for miles far to the southeast lay the soft shimmering blue mass of the blue mountains and there were trees there but that was a long way off there were no bricks there were not enough stones to build a fort and even if there had been they were not regular enough in size there was no mortar or plaster to hold the stones together yet a fort was to be built on this dry sandy point where they could not even have a garden mackenzie sent one band of men toward the blue mountains to cut down trees and float them down the smaller streams to the columbia he sent another band to catch driftwood from a bend in the columbia just above them a bend where the swirl of the current left driftwood on the bank or carried it close inshore another group of men guarded the property the indians still held aloof the principal chief instead of talking to the whites paid no attention to them he wrapped himself in his blanket and his dignity and strode from camp to camp among his people urging them not to trade with the white men other indians came also for the news was sent out by runners before long there were thousands of indians who pitched their tepees along the columbia near these few white men it was a beautiful scene in spite of the danger 
fishes leaped in the sunny waters of the broad columbia as it swept beside the camp horses graved on the brown treeless rolling prairies around them indians raced horses on the plains or swam in the river or smoked among their tepees little columns of smoke curled upward in the still air and tiny lights glimmered here and there in the twilight as the indian women cooked for their families at night in groups they gathered to hear some story-teller retell the myths and legends of the tribe in daytime the children played about almost naked in the heat sometimes they ran to stare at the traders and said to each other what do these people want here are they going to kill more of our relatives still more indians paddled down the river in dugouts or came over the brown rolling hills on their horses then these thousands of indians began to demand presents they said the white men should not use their land for a fort they should not take their driftwood out of the river should not catch the indians fish should not cut the trees of the indians on the mountains the indians claimed ownership of everything too many trading goods would not have been safe until he had a fort built so ross had brought few with him if he gave even a very small gift to each warrior there would not be enough to go around that would make even more trouble when the indians demanded gifts therefore mackenzie said no he said it was a good thing for the indians to have a fort where they could trade at any time other indians liked it he told them he would give them no presents a few indians had been selling them a little food now this stopped great councils were held mackenzie saw the danger and sent out for his scattered men the iroquois and the kanakas and the french canadians came down from the mountains and from the river banks where they had been securing wood the baggage was piled up to form a hollow square as the indians one day suddenly became very threatening mackenzie ordered his men to stand on all sides of that square with their backs to the baggage and each other their guns had been cleaned and were ready for use their knives were sharpened if there was to be a fight none of them could escape but they thought that by being ready for battle and showing no fear perhaps they could avoid an actual fight the indians around demanded gifts mackenzie refused for five days and nights the men stood guard alert every moment no food could be bought and the last night there was nothing to eat at all they dared not leave the camp long enough to catch the fish leaping in the river without shade or shelter in the blazing august sun in that hot sandy country they kept watch despite the danger and the weariness of the hungry men mackenzie told the indians he would give them no presents they seemed so bold and so fearless at last the indians yielded they told mackenzie he might build his fort they even brought food to the starving men and sold it to them that ended the first danger still the indians might change again might again demand gifts and might attack them yet mackenzie divided his men as before sending some to the blue mountains some to the bend for driftwood and kept a guard to protect the trading goods when wood enough had been floated down the columbia and the walla walla to build a fort the men came in and began the actual work of erecting it because the forks was such a dangerous place fort walla walla was the strongest of all the old oregon trading posts the fort was square and the walls of very heavy slabs these slabs 
cut from the driftwood caught and the logs sent down from the rivers were set in two rows they were so set that each slab of one row protected the crack between any two slabs of the other in this way picture the walls were twenty feet high on the inside of this stockade five feet below the top was built a narrow platform running all around the walls so that a guard in case of danger might patrol the walls and perhaps look over it on each corner was built a blockhouse two stories high and thus higher than the walls in the blockhouses with their loopholes for guns and their supply of guns standing in the corners were great tanks of water the country was such a dry one with gales of wind that swirled the dust and sand into great clouds that the traders feared fire more than anything else there were small cannon on the walls over the gate and in the blockhouses inside the stockade a heavy wall of spiked logs divided the space into two in the inner section were the log cabins where the men lived the blacksmith's shop and a few other small buildings the indian shop where payments were made for the furs was just on the inside of this spiked wall with the narrow trading window eighteen inches square cut through the wall in this spiked wall were loopholes for guns the main gate on the outer wall was a large one but cut in that was a very small one through which only one person could enter at a time all this care was against treachery if the large gate were opened on ordinary occasions perhaps many indians might rush in and keep it open so the small gate was used but if through treachery they did break into the outer half of fort walla walla they found themselves in a pen themselves shut in by walls through which muskets could be aimed at them and with the blue sky overhead when built the arrangement of the fort was something like the outline shown below this however does not show the log cabins inside the walls picture but even after the fort was completed the indians for many years were not very friendly they liked to annoy the traders even if they did not often threaten them an indian would come to the small gate and knock when ross or the man in charge looked out of the little window which could be opened for that purpose the indian would say give me a gun but he had nothing to pay for it give me some powder another would say and still another would demand give me a knife if the clerk in charge gave to one he would have to give to all the traders were there to buy and sell not to make an endless number of presents but if ross refused as he usually did they became resentful why are the white men so stingy they would say get off our lands sometimes an indian would come up and rap at the gate when ross answered he would say i want to trade and then jeer at ross he did not want to trade at all he had no goods and only wanted to bother these indians were the walla wallas the cayuses the yakimas and the nez Perces, and others of eastern washington and oregon they were the bold daring horse indians and very different from the canoe indians of the lower columbia and of puget sound they did nothing but hunt gamble race horses or go to war and afterwards have their scalp dances except when fighting or hunting they were always idle ross could see them on every little knoll all day long painting their faces with red and yellow and green and black 
they seemed always to have a paintbrush in one hand and a looking-glass in the other after a few years however the indians of this section found that it really was a good thing to have a fur trading post on their lands they found that these white men really were their friends so they came to like the fort although the traders always felt it was a fort with possibilities of grave danger many years later in eighteen forty two this wood fort burned down the fire was accidental and the indians protected the trading goods and helped the traders to save everything they could they felt very differently toward the fort and toward the white men than they had twenty years before still they were indians and one never knew just what an indian would do as this gunpowder story shows it occurred when they were building a new fort you will remember there was no wood around fort walla walla except driftwood in the columbia in order to get wood for paddles the traders had to go to the blue mountains forty miles away cut the trees trim them float the logs down the streams to the little walla walla river and then haul them overland the few remaining miles to the fort many saddles were made at the fort for the pack horses of the fur company went north from fort walla walla as well as eastward to the snake river country and northeast to the flatheads saddle wood therefore when dried and ready for use was very valuable one day the son of peopeo moxmox the famous walla walla chief walked into the saddler's shop and took some of the wood the saddle maker forbade his doing so again the next day the young indian came back and took more archibald mckinley who had charge of fort walla walla knew that this was going on that day when he saw the young indian taking more saddle wood he sent a clerk named todd to stop him todd went toward the saddler's shop and entered before you could say jack robinson so mckinley said in telling the story afterwards he saw todd and the indian plunge through the doorway fighting mckinley ran to separate them but before he could reach them todd had thrown the indian to the ground mckinley demanded the indian's name for chief's son though he was he was not known at the fort he was the son of peopeo moxmox he said at once mckinley knew there would be trouble to knock down a chief's son the new fort of adobe mud bricks was nearly finished but there were yet no gates all the men of the fort were in the fields ten miles away mckinley todd and the saddler were the only white men there an hour later peopeo moxmox and his son with fifty or sixty angry indians swarmed into the gateless walls of the fort and trooped into the dwelling through the kitchen into mckinley's room mckinley with great politeness offered the chief a chair ignoring the chair the chief sprang past him and caught todd he lifted his tomahawk high mckinley caught his arm just in time to prevent his bringing it down on todd's head peopeo moxmox turned on mckinley and the two chiefs red and white began to struggle the other indians let go of todd and stood back watching the leaders mckinley in the fight managed to drag the chief toward his desk where there were three pistols yet he was not sure that they were loaded he caught them tossed one to todd but ordered him not to fire without a command suddenly peopeo moxmox freed himself from mckinley's grasp and drew back he opened his blanket baring his chest shoot me he said scornfully you shoot a man 
i don't want to shoot you said mckinley but if you raise that tomahawk again i certainly will fire then they talked a while about the matter the chief insisted that todd must be thrashed to do that of course would be a great disgrace in the eyes of the indians who looked upon the white men as superior beings and of course the hudson's bay company would have to send out of the country a man who was looked down upon by the indians while they talked a young warrior struck mckinley that was such an insult that mckinley caught him by the hair intending to strike him but that he remembered would be sure death for himself and todd would cause a war between the whites and the indians and make trouble that would last for years there would be no chance of escape for the room was crowded with indians and only the two white men there suddenly a thought came to him he sprang into the next room seized a keg of gunpowder and pulled it to the door wrenching off the top he held over it a flint and steel ready to strike flints and steels were used in olden times to make a spark before matches came into use if he had struck if a single spark had fallen into that keg of powder well anybody knows what would have happened the indians knew it certainly in a twinkling there was not a redskin in the fort except old peo peo Motsmox and his son the rest fled out through the kitchen through the yard of the fort and the gateless walls into the free space beyond the chief stood still for a moment and then he said scornfully don't you think you are smart to frighten my young men so i have heard that you white people fight duels now let's you and i fight mckinley answered and he himself tells the story there are only six white men at this fort and six hundred of your people now if you kill me there is no other white chief to take my place but if i kill you there are plenty of warriors in your tribe who would make as good a chief as you are the old chief went off at once in great anger a day or two later another chief five crows came into the fort he had not heard of the trouble so mckinley told him he said it is a great disgrace for a chief's son to be thrashed it will make trouble yet five crows was friendly to the fur traders after a few days of really hard trying he made peace between chief peo peo Motsmox and mckinley the trader gave a suit of clothes to the chief the chief gave the trader a fine horse so they smoked the pipe of peace when the missionaries came across the plains beginning in eighteen thirty four and the emigrants years later they found fort walla walla friendly to them and very helpful after those long hard months on the plains and in the mountains they could buy there coffee and sugar and flour as well as fresh fish and vegetables things which they had gone without for weeks and months turkeys and chickens fluttered about the fort pigs grunted in their pens and cows in the pasture not more than a mile or two away gave fresh milk and made butter possible there were rough bunks for beds but that was better than the ground chairs made out of tree trunks were more comfortable than sitting on the ground food eaten from the table there was not full of the dust and sand of the desert as it had been when they were in what is now idaho when the breeze blew dust into their food while the hot sun poured down upon them later the settlers came unless the immigrants were too many there were often old bateaux large open boats which could be paddled down the river from fort walla walla then the bedding and clothing and furniture were piled in great heaps in the open boats 
people sat down on their baggage and little children were tied fast to prevent their falling overboard if too many people came at once after settlement began the immigrants had to follow the river trail to the dales from there they could get boats while the cattle and horses and wagons went overland End of chapter 11